The Generations Quartet, huh? Amen? Amen. Amen. And uh, <clears throat> uh, Janet, thank you so much, because I was getting ready to go up there and lead. <sighs> Girl, no. You just keep people from seeing a literal train wreck happen. So thank you, um, in all seriousness. Turning your Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter number 2. I, I have been so excited about our time in Philippians. It has been encouraging me personally. And just last week, theologically speaking, we, we, we really were on this incredible mountaintop where we see the, the resplendent risen Lord Jesus crowned with the title of Lord that he has had since eternity past. But now this title Lord gives him the privilege to bring in a new host of worshipers who before lived in such rebellion and deadness to God could have never have worshipped him unless the son died for them, defeated death, rose from the grave, and brought with him this procession of new believers into the heavenlies that now worship God. And we've been up on that mountaintop with God, and it's sort of, it's sort of, it's sort of like this group that Corey had here this week. You know, they, they really... Uh, the young people and the, the old people alike, they, they put down the, the phones and the games and, and TV and, and they really spent a week concentrating on the Lord. And a lot of these young people, they brought seven people with them, uh, six young people and a, and a young mom in her 20s who, who out of their team gave their lives to the Lord this week. And, um, and we, you know, I shared with them Thursday night there in the fellowship hall that this week, everything's been done for them. They were given this environment where they really just got to concentrate on the Lord and they kind of got a, a little revival amongst them, but now they got to go back to the, to the regular week and they got to figure out how to work out their salvation and fear and trembling without this, this sanitary, uh, sanitized, excuse me, environment. That's where we're going this week. We've been up on the heights, seeing the, the gloriousness of the Son of God granted the title Lord, and now the Apostle Paul is going to bring us from the heights of heaven and put us on the sidewalk of life, and he's going to tell us to work it out, work out being like Jesus, start to ask yourself those tough questions like, what would Jesus do, and what would Jesus think? And what would Jesus say? It's no wonder back in Mark chapter 9 when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration that after this mountaintop experience, does anybody remember what the, what, what, what the Apostle Peter said? He says, can we just stay up here? Can we build some tents and just hang out? Because it's hard to go from the glory of the mountaintop to the, to the trouble of the valley. And that's where the scripture takes us to. And it's like Paul says, now that's who our Lord is. Now, keep obeying, don't grumble, remember your neighbors are crooked and twisted because they don't have the Lord, and uh, oh yeah, by the way, pretty soon I'll be executed, and through it all I have joy and I'm rejoicing and you should too. What? That's how severe this turn is going to be this week. But really, this is where we live. We live down on the sidewalks, don't we, church? We live down here where we believe all these high things about God, but it's pretty tough to, to, to work them out in the middle of our grief and in the middle of our aging and in the middle of all of the things that go on in our families and in our workplaces. It's tough to live this faith out, isn't it? Amen? Amen. Am I the only one? Everybody else is perfect? It's tough. 
I'm going to tell you, though, we need to see the eternal reality of this Lord. And then we also need to figure out how to how to square that with everyday life. And I believe today's passage begins to help us do that. Let's look together at Philippians chapter number two, verses 12 through 18. The Bible reads like this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I, not, that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Father, as we have opened your word, open the, the, the place in our minds where we, we can understand, where we can see you in a different way. Open the place in our heart where we can set our affections on you in a fresh way. Father, cause us to see you high and lifted up, holy and sitting on the throne, and also cause us to see, just as the prophet Isaiah say, that you live with a broken and contrite of heart. Father, you, you live with the humble person. So, Father, I pray, I pray that whether it's your kindness that is humbling us or the hardness of life that is humbling us, I pray that the Risa Baptist Church, our friends and guests in our midst this week, would be humbled, that our hearts would be a place where you could live in a fresh way, that you could abide in us, that you could give us fresh energy, fresh focus, fresh vision, that you, would, that you would work in us to give us a will to follow you, and that you would work in us to make a way to follow you. God, do this thing in our midst. In Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. Three simple points this morning. Maybe not so simple, amen. Maybe not so simple, but three simple thoughts, I'll say, that I'm going to share with you guys this morning. Number one, work out your salvation in sober and hopeful Obedience. Work out your salvation in sober and humble, I mean, hopeful obedience. Now, we always have to remember, church, who our example is. I, I had some wonderful people in my life. I, I think I could bring out a parade of names of godly witnesses, especially since I came into the faith. Especially since I came into the faith. Then there was a few in my life that were points of life light to me. And I, I can think of these people, and I can tell you of all the qualities of these godly people that I deeply admire, except in the end, though, I would have to say that all of them and all of us have clay feet. In other words, if you understand what I'm saying, nobody's perfect. Can I get amen? Amen. So our example for godly living our example for a godly life is never to be better than someone we don't admire or to be like someone we do admire. Our example, our example uh, for a, a humble life, our example for a righteous life is always Jesus. And what we've been covering over the last two weeks here in Philippians chapter 2 is that Jesus was obedient to death. You hear me, church? He was obedient how far? To death. So there's the standard. 
There's the standard for, for a good child of God. Be obedient to death. Now, the great thing about being a humble child of God, and if you do, if you're so humble that it kills you, he is the resurrection and the life. See how you know that church, but do you know it? You remember when in John 11, when Jesus is having this encounter with Martha, and he says, Martha, do you, do you believe you're going to see your brother again? She says, sure, on the day of resurrection. She's like, lady, you looking toward a day. I'm a, the resurrection is a person. It's me. I'm the resurrection. I want to tell you, if you obey God and it flat out kills you, guess what? He is the resurrection. Amen? That's something we're missing these days. Uh, we, we, we've come to this place, we've come to this place that we think if it's not comfortable, it means it's bad. We think if it's difficult, it's bad. The American dream has says you should be comfortable and everything should be easy and you should have fun. It might surprise you to find out that the culture of Corinth and the culture of Philippi really mirrors the culture we live in. So what does he tell them? He says, my beloved, you, you've been obeying the Lord. Now I'm in jail. Keep on obeying the Lord. In other words, don't make it about being under a human master. I'll tell you, Theresa Baptist Church, don't make your obeying the Lord be about whether you have a pastor, a new pastor, or a pastor you like. Somebody say amen. Amen. Make your obeying the Lord be about following the Lord. Amen. So he tells them, here's the standard, it's Jesus. And he brought back this word this week, this passage, it has it again. Just like we, we saw back in verse number 9, when, when the Bible says, therefore, look, look at where verse 12 starts with, a therefore, and this therefore is packed. It's saying, because Jesus was humble all the way till death. He was obedient all the way through death. And what did God do because he was humble and obedient through to his death? He crowned him with the title of Lord. He said, therefore, because that's your example, you do the same thing. The therefore is packed. The king, the king, he, he rules, he reigns, and because every knee and every tongue We'll bow to him and confess him. We should work out this life he has given us, believing, believing that this has purpose and that it is going somewhere. Amen. <clears throat> Wouldn't it be a cotton picking shame to spend 75, 80, 90, 100 years right here trying to get as comfortable as you can and then to walk away from it? Everybody does. You remember the story or the parable of the rich farmer. He goes, oh, look, I've done well. I've got to build some more barns because I'm doing so great. I, I need to, to fix this where I can be comfortable. Does anybody in the sanctuary this morning remember what God said to this rich farmer? Anybody? Tonight. I don't even know who said it, but I heard it. Tonight. He called him a fool even. It means fool means to live without regard of God. He says, fool, tonight your life is required of you. See, see, the goal, Christians, the goal, church, the goal isn't to get comfortable here. The goal is to have purpose here. Amen. The goal is to have purpose here. And so this, therefore, is packed. Sober living. What do I mean by sober? Not drunk on the wine of the world, but filled with the Spirit of God. We see that God's got a purpose in giving us Jesus, and that's what we're working out. The gift of salvation has come to us, and we're working out this gift. 
with expectation, with hope that Jesus is going to return and that all this is going to culminate in the glory of God. Now, I want to tell you something. Theresa Baptist Church, we're in a funny place. It's easier to live, uh, to live the Christian life when there's a dynamic leader in close proximity to you who is constantly telling you, hey, you know, God is good. God is good. Serve the Lord. God is good. Thank the Lord. God is good. Serve the Lord. God is good. Count your many blessings. God is good. And that's what Paul is telling them. He says, listen, I know I'm over in jail and you don't have that dynamic leader in your city right now. But you've got a dynamic leader in heaven, and he's your Lord. That leader is the one that just keeps telling you to, to, to get your eyes on the Lord. But once you get your eyes on the Lord, keep your eyes on the Lord. Amen, church? Amen. So he tells them to work their salvation out. So <clears throat> tell you a silly story. They were giving away these prizes this week at VBS over at the warehouse, and somebody handed me one and said, uh, bet you can't do this. It was a puzzle that was a ball. And I said, of course I can do it. And they gave it to me, and I immediately slapped it on the table and made it fall into several pieces. <clears throat> it's in a Ziploc bag in my office now. I still had not got it back together. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. It's kind of embarrassing. You know, I'm up here like, you know, I'm a graduate of Person High School. I know things. Why can't I? But I'm not telling them people from South Carolina I did not get that puzzle back together. I think a lot of times we look at the Christian life and on some elements we're like, oh, I got this. I got this. And then other days it feels like a jumbled up mess that's riding around with us that we can't figure out for the life of us. So he says, work out your salvation. But I want you to notice something. He tells you to do it fear and trembling. You know why he tells you to do it with fear and trembling? He tells you to do it with fear and trembling because he has the expectation that you will be drawing very near to a terrible, mighty, powerful God. Amen. And there's the thing. There's the thing, church. If you're not drawing near to this mighty God, you won't work out this Christian life. And I, don't, I want to clear something up. Let me put a statement up here on the screen for you. One does not work for their salvation, but to say work from their salvation. Paul is not exhorting you. I am not exhorting you to go out here and work so you can be saved. I'm telling you to get to work because you are saved. Amen. You've been given a gift, and it may seem impossible, but God is changing your will. That's the very promise of his Holy Spirit being in you. He is changing your will. He is changing your focus. He is changing your priorities. And I want to tell you something. If you say you're a Christian and your priorities haven't changed, you're probably not a Christian. If you just keep doing whatever you want to do and you expect God to bless it, you, you, you know, I want to tell you all something that's going to surprise you. You know, everybody flex, get your muscles built up. You might, this might come as a surprise. You ready? Y'all pump them up a little bit. Let me see you. Pump them up a little bit because I think y'all going to need some strength to hear this. God doesn't care about the American dream. Now, maybe you better flex your legs this time. You ready? Stretch them out. That's why I sit on the front row so I can do that. I can run away if I don't like something. You ready for this? God is infinitely more concerned with your holiness than he is your happiness. Amen. The funny thing is, I would say a key element of holiness is eternal happiness. Amen. It's a repositioning of happiness. 
So in other words, I think the best sort of happiness to achieve is through holiness. Now, why am I saying all this? I don't want anybody to get thankful a minute. I'm asking anybody to work for your salvation. The apostle has said on numerous occasions, the most direct one in Ephesians chapter 2 says, this is a gift of God. Ephesians 2, this is a gift of God. Can't earn it. Somebody say amen. Amen. But with this gift of God bringing salvation on you, making you realize you're a sinner in need of the grace of God through the sacrifice of Jesus. That's the first work of it. You realize you need Jesus. Not just that you want him, but you need him. There's no way to be right with God except through Jesus. What does he do? He puts the Holy Spirit in you, and that's his sign upon you and his seal over you. And that Holy Spirit begins to work in you, to change your desires, to change your will. Uh, you know, I, I, used to, I used to never have a desire, right? I never had a desire to apologize for, to somebody uh, unless I was wanting something from them. Now, I, you know, if I, sitting over here beside Dolores, if I'd have bumped into her, I would have said I was sorry. And I know, I know that God changed that about my personality. I know it. I, I used to, I used to, I've always had a desire to give. So giving's not a big deal, right? But I never had a desire to give to the gospel, I never had a desire to, to give money to see people share the gospel. I wanted to give money to help disabled veterans and stuff. That's where my heart was. So where did I get this burden? What changed in me? God has given me a heart for the things he has a heart for. That's not to say he doesn't have a heart for disabled veterans. My goodness, my dad was a disabled veteran. And my father, warned, I mean, my, my heavenly father warned my earthly father to himself through Jesus. Just trying to illustrate, church, he is working in you. The Holy Spirit is working in you. He is making us willing. He is empowering our doing. And that's where the fear and trembling should come in because this is God, a very God, causing you to work for his good pleasure. Amen. So, so the Apostle Paul would say, work out your salvation in sober and hopeful obedience. The sober comes in. This life isn't just about this life. Come on, church. This life isn't just about this life. And hopeful because the stuff we do in this life matters in eternity. It matters. I was sitting and talking with somebody last night. Um, I came in last night. Oh, my goodness. One person says, you ain't 60. I said, hush your mouth. I'm 60 today. It's my birthday. (laughs) Mr. Jones got on me about wearing shorts. I think it's because he thought my legs was pretty. He was stumbling. <laughs> Had a good time fellowshipping with the senior adults last night. And I, I sat down and talked to, talked to, I'm not going to call her name. This is not embarrassing. But I'm not going to call her name. And they, they were talking about volunteering with My Life Matters and sharing with those kids on a weekend and week out basis. And they were just sitting there crying. Just sitting there crying. Because they're burdened for these children. They're burdened for what these children are going through in their homes. And I just sit there and said, your work is so important. Your work is so, you're shifting stuff in these kids' lives. These kids are seeing stuff in their grandma and granddaddy that's not good and it's not godly. They're seeing stuff in their mom and dad that's not good and it's not godly. They're seeing stuff from aunt and uncle, neighbors, not good and it's not godly. Somebody's got to put the good and godly seed out there and trust the Holy Spirit to work it. Somebody say amen in this church. We got to see, we got to see that life is not just about this life and that this is going somewhere. Let me speed up. Let's get to point number two. Number two, work out your salvation in patient and selfless contentment. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. This is tough. You go back and look at, start looking at verse number 14. He gives this list of of commands. 
And this proves that the, this part of the Bible was written before one single local church had a business meeting. This proves it. Somebody's got it already. Thank y'all for being with me. Look at what verse 14 says. Matter of fact, whoever's, I can't see who's running. The, back up where you can see the scripture, verse 14 on the board. Just back up here. Right there. Whoa. See this? Read, read verse 14 together, church. You ready? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, I'm not going to call you out, but who went through a drive-thru this morning? Who went through a drive-thru? Anybody? Come on now, raise your hand. I'm not going to call you out, but who went through a drive-thru? Now, like three people think. Y'all know y'all biscuit-eating rednecks went through a drive-thru this morning? Okay. Who went through a drive-thru in the last month? See, you felt comfortable then, didn't you? <laughs> now, do not raise your hand. <laughs> do not. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, don't raise your hand. Okay. Who went through a drive-thru without disputing or grumbling? <laughs> <laughs> who, who's, had to, who's had to make a customer service telephone call in the last year? Anybody? Just me? Uh, thank you. Thank you. Who's done so without, don't raise your hand. <laughs> Who's done so without grumbling or complaining? Who's been to a worship service or a Sunday school class besides this one in the last year? Come on, Sunday school class, worship service? Who's walked away without grumbling or complaining? Anybody in here still in the workforce? Anybody? <laughs> See, <laughs> who's done so without grumbling or complaining? Hmm. It's tough, isn't it, church? I mean, really? If you think I'm picking on you, man, I mean, really, I'm, I'm just doing a terrible job preaching. I'm not. I'm just saying that, man, from the heights of how good Jesus is down to the sidewalks of how difficult life is, man, we're going to need the power of God. I need the power of God. I can't even go get a biscuit without getting upset. I can't even drive down Madison Boulevard without contemplating murder. <laughs> and I don't know who lives up on the fancy street there in town and had them put that extra stop sign in, but y'all got me speaking in tongues up there. <laughs> I sound like Yosemite Sam. That's a fresh resurrect. But read it again with me, church. What's it say? Verse 14. Do what? Now, I want you to raise your hand if you are led of the Spirit. Who knows that just on this point alone, you need to do some repenting today? See, God wants to deliver you out of that Spirit. Do you know that? Right? Who knows if something's going to shift in your life in the area of grumbling and disputing or complaining who knows that if you're going to get a shift, you're going to need the power of God. Okay. So you better see what's at stake, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked generation, twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ. Man, so much sermon here and so little time to preach it. I'm going to give something really big, and I pray the Holy Spirit will give it to you better than I could. Do you see that... Living, living this life of patient and selfless contentment 
is the core element of your witness in this world. And it will be the core element of your judgment at the return of Jesus. You see, do you see it right here on the screen in the, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation? Now, I'm not saying this is the goal of everything. I know some of y'all was at the race last night, but they was too stuck up to sit with me like Janet. Um, oh, I didn't mean, did I say that out loud, Janet? My, my bad. I'm just playing. I couldn't find nobody to sit with. I was sitting alone. But look, I went to the, I went to the snack bar last night and got, and, uh, I got me a, a lemonade, and I was going to go back and get some peanuts, because I love to make a mess where I ain't got to clean it up. It's so much fun. And uh, this, this guy had been really rude right in front of me, so rude. And I was like, hey, homeboy, it's just a hot dog. I mean, y'all, you know, I, and I told him, I said, go tweet that. That's a direct quote. Hey, homeboy, it's just a hot dog. It's not worth all this. And so I, I'd already had my lemonade, you know, and, and, uh, and uh, you know what they did? I, I was going to get my peanuts, and they gave me two hot dogs and a chili fries. You know what the lady said? It's just refreshing to have somebody behave like they ought to behave. And I said, it's just refreshing to get free hot dogs. <laughs> Them chili fries was from heaven, y'all. I'm telling y'all. I still got heartburn. Every time I burp, it's like a prayer request. Now, I'm going to tell you, I sit and I listen to that fella, and I was kind of getting, like, man, just get, I mean, it's a hot dog, man. Get your hot dog and go on somewhere, man. I'm trying to, and then the Lord was whipping my behind. I said, Tim, what you going to preach on in the morning? You stand here uh, disputing and grumbling. Be the difference maker in your world. Be the one that's behaving different. And I'm telling you, I said, oh, God, you're going to have to help me because I just want to kick him. <laughs> and the whole time I'm standing in line like this. <laughs> with my lemonade. Yeah. You know, it looked like Jeffro from Beverly Hillbilly. <laughs> but inside, I was at war. Anybody ever been there? Inside, you at war, right? So, but I knew my testimony was on the line. I knew that justice, you say, well, they're just food workers. No, they're human beings made in the image of the living God. My testimony was on the line. Justice was on the line. If Jesus came back in the middle of that race, I wanted to have a good testimony, not just at the end of my life, but in the middle of it. Am I making sense to anybody in this church? So this right here calls us to focus on others' needs instead of brooding about our offenses, personal crusades, personal rights, and personal reputations. It says, look at the fact that Jesus wouldn't hold on to heaven but come down here and died for you. That's your example. Now go, go work out living like that. I tell you, the key is holding, to holding fast in hope is to believe God's word and follow it. I want to say so much more. Time is already out. Let me make this third point and get out of here real quick. We've got to pray over some of our precious saints before we walk out of this room. Let me, let me do this. Work out your salvation in joyful sacrifice. When you turn the corner over here, when you turn the corner, excuse me, into verses 17 and 18, but Paul is basically just sort of seamlessly doing this. He's going, hey, that's how I want y'all to be. Let me tell you how it is with me. That's how I want y'all to be. Let me tell you how it is with me. Paul was basically saying, uh, hey, you know, I, I think I'm going to be killed at any day. Killed for what? Preaching the gospel. Holding fast to the testimony of Christ, right? I'm going to be killed at any day, and here I am rejoicing. Now, this wasn't metaphorical. The man was in prison facing the judgment of the Caesar, right? Right, church? 
death was on his heels. And he says, but I'm rejoicing in Christ. Why? Because even if serving God, obeying God, being humble before God kills me, my Savior will raise me up. And he tells him just very plainly, just, just as plain speech as you can get. He said, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, in other words, even if bringing the gospel to y'all is what kills me, I'm glad. And I rejoice with you all. Amen. So likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. One well, of my favorite quotes, I, I, I even put it on Facebook quite a bit because I, I personally need the reminder that I'm not all that important. Charles Wesley said, God buries his workmen, but carries on his work. I can tell you as a pastor, my greatest longing is to see a church full of ministers who carry on his work when I'm not looking for his glory and for their joy. Amen. Who carry on his work when I'm not looking for God's glory, for your good, and for your joy. I was reminded this week of how fleeting some things we can make really important are. They're just fleeting. We think they're really important, but they're, they're, they're you know, somebody somewhere over there at that Virgilana school years ago planted some beautiful trees in the wrong place. Um, beautiful holly trees. And you know what we did this week? Uh, Sean Kendrick brought one of them good old hillbilly tree wampers. And he cranked that thing up. Before you knew it, the trees was on the ground. Somebody had wanted a legacy of beauty, but they had planted it in the wrong place. And what happens to even a beautiful thing planted in the wrong place is it has a short life in the grand scope of things. So the trees might have been 40, 50 years old, but now they're just laying in the brush pile. Their stumps and their roots have been ground into literal dust. What if you plant a 80, 90, 100-year-old beautiful life. And it's all about this life, and God has to come and cut it down. That's sobering, isn't it? But what if you give your life to God for this whole life, and God resurrects you and makes it flourish with eternal beauty? This is the difference in the Christian life. We know it's not just about this. We know it has purpose. We know that purpose comes with struggle. But because we get where it's going, we take the gift of salvation and we give our lives in joyful sacrifice. If serving Jesus kills me, Paul would say, and serving Jesus killed him, right? And I'm still rejoicing because you could take everything else. I've still got Jesus. If serving Jesus kills me, then hot dog, I'm serving Jesus. I pray y'all serve Jesus too. How do you respond to something like this? I'm going to give a twofold response. Well, number one, bring it down to the sidewalkest of sidewalkies. How are you honoring your dad today, your, your earthly dad? Even if you say, well, my dad's gone on. I mean, I can, Steve, me and you in the same boat, man. My dad's gone on too, right, brother? But, but am I honoring the things he's taught me, the gifts he's given me? You know, like, we never had a lot of material things, but I never went hungry. Never. And I've been in places in the world where folks was hungry. I was up at the food bank Friday morning, 
helping out. I, I wasn't even there two hours. A hundred families come through there. I've never been hungry. Anybody else say that? You, I mean, I, I mean, I've been hungry, but I'm talking about it could be solved pretty quick. You know, I had something. Right? Aren't we blessed? My daddy drove me nuts, but I never went hungry. Am I, am I honoring that? Am I thankful? If your dad's alive, what's your relationship like with your dad? And if your dad's alive and you're alive and your relationship stinks, God's alive too, and he can help you work that out. Ain't that funny? And if your dad's alive and you're alive and your dad's, uh, and you got a dynamic relationship, then, then you know, don't, don't, don't be satisfied with a card. You go, you go hug your daddy's neck. Even if you're a grown man, don't be no, don't be no knucklehead. Go hug your daddy's neck. Even if you don't like it, hug him. Like put a ninja hug on him. Just make him take it. Shake his hand. Tell your daddy thank you. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, our community was struck with terrible tragedy. A 12-year-old boy drowned out there at Heiko Lake. How many of y'all swim in Heiko Lake in your life? Really? How many of y'all swim? Isn't that fearful and fretful? It's a, it's a, it's, it, is a, it is a, man, a massive responsibility to be a parent. All right? Go thank your daddy today. You know, recently I learned that my 18-year-old has a journal going where she writes down things I say that she thinks is funny or smart. That kind of threw me for a loop, and I've been watching what I say around her lately because she's going to wind up writing a book, and I'm going to look like a clown. But that also just touched me that my daughter is thinking of legacy in her relationship with me. So you men, whether you're looking up at your dad or you're looking down at your your daughter or your son. How are you honoring your father today, and how are you honoring the responsibility of being a father? I think today is a good day to think about that. But most important, do you live in humble obedience to your heavenly father? The example is Jesus. Do you live in humble? I can make a whole list. What are you doing with your time? Do you serve the gospel, or are you living for the American dream? What do you do with your talent? Is it all about you? What do you do with your treasure? Are you faithful in giving? Do you serve others? That's the only true way to honor Father's Day. So here you have Lord Jesus, who is obedient to death. And the Father gave him the title Lord. Because he gives Jesus the title Lord, he has won many of you into the family of God. And you are now sons and daughters of God. You won't get the title Lord but you should live out the title son and daughter. Amen. You should live it out with joy. You should just be thankful you're in the Father's house, that you're sitting at his table. You, were once a you were once, weren't a people, but now you're a people for his own possession that you might proclaim the excellencies of his glories to the nations. Amen. God's given you purpose. Your life matters. You were made in the image of God. He sent his son to the cross to die for you. You matter. Your life has purpose. But does it have purpose for a span of years that will be sawn down, or is it planted in glory? This morning, if you never receive Jesus as your Savior, there's no day like today. The covenant he offers us through Christ Jesus is that his blood is sufficient and necessary to cover your sin, and his resurrected life is enough to defeat your death. And he says, anybody who believes on that name and receives me, he will give the right to be a son or a daughter of God. Have you believed on that name and received him? 
Have you received his gift? And then you, you take that gift of salvation in you, and you what, church? Work it out. Work out the gift with his help. Have you done that? And how about you believers? Are you stagnant in your faith? Most of our stagnation comes from our unwillingness to be obedient. Maybe that trend needs to get reversed today with some humble obedience. The altar is yours. I'm going to pray, and our, our hymn of decision is um, Speak to My Heart, number 428, and we'll sing together, and you feel free to pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, in, in spite of the feebleness of your servant, we believe in the power of your spirit. So every point where I have failed, Holy Spirit, we trust you. Encourage the people of God, chasten those who need chastening, inspire, challenge, correct, instruct. Bring us to points of decision that bring us to the foot of the throne, to the foot of the cross, to the table of the king. In Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. Janet.